So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The, the older I get, the more thankful I am for my height, because the further that piece of paper is away from me, the clearer I can see it. <laughs> Step back. I think you and I are doing a, playing a gig together this week, aren't we? It's like, nice. It's good. It's good. It's, it's been a long time. I can sing backgrounds for you, Dave. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Well, good morning again. Uh, it's our pleasure to be here. Uh, we, like, as Mark said, and by the way, Mark, um, you're the one with the accent, mate, not me. So, just saying. Uh, we've, we've had a uh, wonderful opportunity to spend time with your staff and some of your elders as well. And seriously, you have an amazing church. You really do. I love these two guys. Seriously, humble, uh, powerful leaders. And uh, so I have a lot of respect for them. So, uh, so today, again, as we're kind of diving into this idea of prayer, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be telling a lot of stories today, okay, if you guys are okay with that. So the message is going to come through story, and stories are powerful. We need to tell more stories, more testimonies of what God is doing and has done, because testimonies build faith in us. And so today, I want to tell, uh, basically bring a message to you through our story, through Patty's and my story. Uh, I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. I was at the vineyard actually around the corner here for eight years. I was a, a uh, college pastor for four of those years. I was at Rock Harbor for 17 years, 17 years, sorry, just 17 years. And, uh, uh, and I, I mean, I had a pretty rich routine with the Lord of prayer in the mornings, I'd get in the Word in the morning, my kids would come down, they'd sit on my lap and I'd be in the Word and be in prayer and, and self-examination as well. And, and these were, were really, really, really good things for me. This is, this is just the, the, of how God was just so faithful to me. And uh, Patty and I love the Lord and we didn't question His goodness at all <clears throat> or waver in our faith, but we came to a place where we were uh, deeply discouraged by what we were seeing around us, what we were experiencing in our family, what we were experiencing in church. And we knew that there were many of those around us who were experiencing the same things. And it was disheartening. We were, we'd been praying for specific breakthroughs in our own families, that, in our own family that we weren't seeing. Uh, we were first-generation believers so there was a battle going on there. Our church had a wonderful community, but there just wasn't this, this, this breakthrough that we were longing for. There was, I mean, 
we weren't seeing the power of God uh, in, in wonderful ways. Like, no one was being healed. People continued to struggle with anxiety and depression. And I know anxiety and depression is a big thing in our culture today. But we were praying for that, and we weren't seeing anything come around. We watched longtime friends in church get divorced and even walk away from the faith. We were spiritually exhausted because there was nothing that we could do about it, and we were quite stressed about it, <laughs> just spiritually exhausted over it all. And you guys, the Western church, honestly, is, uh, can be run so, it's run so well in so many ways, but it really runs on, on talent, um, hard work, strategy, and finances. And to be honest, that's not sustainable without a life of prayer and a move of the Holy Spirit in us. We had no idea, honestly, how to really go about the battle against the enemy who hates, who hates what we love. And we didn't carry much expectation, to be perfectly honest, that God would actually come in and win the day either. And I'm a pastor. I'm pastoring a church at this point. There was this wonderful thing that started to set into Patty and I. Uh, and we, the only way that we could put our finger on it or describe it was there was this holy discontent that just set into our, our spirits. And we pressed into the Father. It was the only thing we could do. We pressed into the Father, we pressed into the Son, and we pressed into the Holy Spirit. There were, and now keep in mind that there are at least two ways to, uh, to find our way into understanding the power and the scope of prayer. One is that some people are just natural at it, right? You know those people, when you have a prayer gathering and those three people show up, right? <laughs> and they're just hungry, mate. They're just passionate. And you talk to them, it's like, hey, how did you develop this passion for, for prayer? Oh, it's, been, it's just there. It's just, like, I've always had this passion for prayer. That's a small, small percentage of the church. The rest of us are pressed into it, like grapes being pressed for their juice. That's how we found our way into prayer and the power, the impact of the Holy Spirit. I was uh, pastoring at Rock Harbor at that point, and I, and I remember my wife looking at, me, looking at me at one point, and I'll never forget it. And she, so we looked around with everything that's going on around us, and she just looked at me and she said, is this it? Like, is this it? Is this what we're settling for? Patty was willing to admit that uh, we didn't have the spiritual resources that we needed to deal with what was in front of us, but she trusted the Word of God and also the testimony of the Word of God of believers from past ages that have relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and have seen wonderful, miraculous things take place. And I'm talking miraculous, not only just the thunderous things that happen, but in the mundane, just the everyday stuff. Because here's the thing, when we, we, we don't take notice of the little things. We're not thankful for them sometimes. You know? like we need to acknowledge just the little things. Go, Man, that's a miracle right there. That my son said, thank you, that's a miracle. <laughs> So we entered this space where, um, of just this holy discontent. And me, I was running a church at the time, so I, mean, I just pretty much stuck my head in the sand in so many ways. And I'm like, I mean, I've got to run the church. How do we do this? 
But eventually we both found this synergy between us, the space where we were both on the same page, and that was a beautiful thing. But uh, Patty called this, this man in, in L.A. named Chuck Craft. And Chuck is the guy you go to when you're dealing with spiritual warfare stuff. He's the spiritual warfare guy. He's the inner healing guy. He's the, the deliverance guy. And it's like, it's like sitting with your grandpa. Really, he's just this chill guy. And I've actually done training under Chuck many years ago. But he's so chill. And we sat with him and, uh, because we knew that we needed something more. We needed to kind of beef up our resources, our spiritual resources. So we went and met with Chuck. And so we told Chuck um, what was going on in our lives. And at this particular time, a couple of our kids were on a journey um, to finding their, their own truth, right, apart from Jesus, which if you've ever experienced it as a parent, that's a really painful journey, or it can be a really painful journey. And it was for us, that's for sure. So Chuck nonchalantly looks at us after we tell him our story, and he goes, he says, yeah. He said, your kids have uh, grown tired of the powerless church, and they've gone looking for power somewhere else. Oh, mate. My jaw was, I was catching flies, literally, like, oh, my gosh. And then he says, then he asks us a question. He goes, <clears throat> what's your prayer culture like in your church? Like, Another one. It's exist, it exists, like we pray, but we pray because we have to or that we know that we should pray. There wasn't this, this guttural thing in us, this passion to, for, for an, an understanding of the power and the scope of prayer. But we were praying, but I would say it, it felt impotent to me, to be perfectly honest. And the last one was a bomb. And he goes, so he says, so are you seeing miracles in your church? And we're like, uh, um, uh, no, no, no. He goes, yeah. He said, you need one of those up front so everybody can see it. I'm like, let me get that right on order, mate. It's like, <laughs> but we didn't know that we could actually pray for that at that time because we actually did have a miracle up front in our church. It was a man, literally a young guy who came back to came back from the dead. He coded 13 times in one hour, 38 years old from a massive heart attack, and our whole church saw it, and he came back. The doctors had given up on him. They'd taken, taken him off life support. And we saw, we saw, we saw what God had, had done. And our whole church saw what he'd done as well. But that conversation with Chuck uh, really raised a lot of questions in our minds with regards to the Holy Spirit and prayer. And we had to confront the fact that we did not have the faith to step into what Jesus was calling us to. There was an unconscious wrong theology in us that we were listening to. And to be honest, it had led us down a path to just a lukewarm faith, kind of a powerless faith. Did our prayers really work? Do they really work? Does God answer? Those kinds of questions. We were honest enough to ask the questions. So during this time, we were, we were just hungry for more and we began reading books on prayer and identity and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we borrowed others other people's testimonies because we didn't have our own, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. This is a really powerful thing to do. We would read uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire to each other at night, which is a phenomenal story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, right? That, that, where that, that prayer became the center of their whole... I mean, just it's incredible what God did there because of, because of their, their dedication to prayer and the Holy Spirit. 
And so until we had our, we would depend on these other people's testimonies until we had our own testimonies. And our own testimonies obviously came as well, which was phenomenal. But we started to, to develop faith for things that were beyond our own abilities. Like this started to set into us. We're like, wait, we're experiencing faith. And this other little thing crept in as well. It was called expectation. There was actually an expectation that God would follow through with what we were asking him for. Now, it's up to him whether it actually comes off or not, but, but our position is a position of faith. So what I want to um, just kind of present to you today um, is... Well, let me back up a little bit. We, were, we began um, meeting for prayer in our home as well. That's, that was an important part. I uh, built a deck on the side of our house because it was 450 square foot, square foot space that we were living at that point time up in Orange. And, uh, and it was a great time for us. So we would invite our church to come over. And again, we'd have, sometimes we'd have three or four people show up for it. But we knew, we knew that we were called to pray. And we knew that this was going to change our lives. So it didn't matter who showed up. Sometimes, sometimes it would be three or four, sometimes it would be ten people. But we knew that we needed to engage in this because uh, this was our act of obedience. So those days and years of prayer changed us and uh, they also began to sow seeds into the beauty that was to come. Uh, miracles and salvations in our family, uh, a ministry that we love so much called Cedar House that Mark was talking about where Prayer and worship and teaching uh, and practicing all that Jesus taught us to do. Uh, it's happening every Friday night in our home. And for the last year, our home, we have a small home, but a big front yard. Our home, every Friday night for the, over the last year, our home is packed with 20-somethings to 60-somethings. And our front yard is full as well. <laughs> and they're just kind of listening in through the windows. It feels very first century church kind of a thing, you know. We're waiting for somebody to fall out of the window at midnight so we can bring him back from the dead. But <laughs> hasn't happened yet, but hey. But this was, I mean, this was powerful. I mean, people were coming forward and just going, I need to be baptized tonight. And we're like, okay, you want to be baptized tonight? Okay, where's the nearest body of water? We live like uh, a 12-minute walk from the circle. And like a two-minute drive, one-minute drive from the circle, orange circle. And where's the, where's the nearest body of water? Oh, the fountain at the circle. <laughs> Sweet. So we would trek down there at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I serve as, as a chaplain for Orange Police Department too, so I'm waiting for them to call me one day on this. And, and we would baptize people in the fountain. And this happened four, four or five weeks in a row. And this was spontaneous. We weren't asking people to get baptized. They were experiencing the power and the presence of God in such a powerful way. They were saying, I need to get baptized. And so we truck them down there. It was phenomenal. It's been an incredible time for us. It really has. Amazing. And in a day uh, where identity is being challenged and attacked, we're witnessing a generation of, uh, of young people. And, and hear me in this especially young men, especially young men who are walking in their true identity and they're walking in it with power and with gusto. And it's amazing. It really is. One other piece of advice that we received from somebody years ago uh, 
was actually from J.P. Moreland. I don't know if you know J.P. at all. And J.P. said to me, this is years and years ago when I was at Rock Harbor. He goes, Pete, he said, find normal people that are walking in the power of the Spirit and hang out with them. I'm like, I like that. I like normal, right? <laughs> um, Holy Spirit's not always normal, trust me. But if you guys know and probably have experienced at some point, there can be some weirdness that people bring to, you know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Don't add weirdness on top of it, right? Just be normal and allow him to do what he needs to do. So that really spoke to us. So we found a community of people that were normal and walking in the power of the Spirit, and we hung out with them. We stepped out of our own box, right, the box that we'd created, and we just engaged with these people, and we learned a lot, and we grew a lot. And there were even things that we would say, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But we're discerning people, so we can do that. But it was risky for us to step out. But it was so good for us to get out of our box and learn from other people in different, different cultures, different um, spiritual cultures. It was phenomenal. But I tell you um, some of our story today because uh, we're evangelicals. And we've discovered that life without the robustness of the spirit and the power of prayer is only a partial life in Christ. There are some things uh, today that may challenge you, to be perfectly honest. Uh, They may challenge your current beliefs. They may challenge your current paradigm. And a paradigm is just basically a set of beliefs, a structured set of beliefs that we live by. And it can be unconscious as well as conscious, right? But old paradigms don't like new paradigms. They will fight tooth and nail to protect the beliefs that support the system of the old paradigm. But here's the thing. If you feel uncomfortable today, if you feel some angst, that's a good thing. That could be a new paradigm knocking on the, old door, on the door of your old paradigm, asking you and inviting you to discern by the word of God and by the testimony of the Spirit, whether this paradigm is actually biblical and true. So if you feel uncomfortable, awesome. That's a good thing. So as we began to to learn and to grow, um, we discovered that there was one issue at the heart of, of every human being that stood out to to us as the the primary inhibitor, the primary inhibitor to a life of of power in the Spirit, effective prayer, the abundant life, the hope-filled life, and the faith-filled life. And that is the the, the, the idea of identity. See... Living in the knowledge of who we are and whose we are affects everything around us. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our understanding of ourselves. And it also affects our understanding of the people around us. So having a right understanding, a theologically right understanding, and a, and a, and a spiritual inside understanding of who we are is critical not only to how we do life on this earth, but how we actually pray, which this will come out in a little bit. You guys, we've met with so many people over the years and the thing is this, is that the vast majority of them, the vast majority of them are still stuck 
living in and believing the lies of their old identity. Our identity has been shaped in us from a really young age. It's shaped by our temperament, our surroundings, by our family, by churches that we attend. It's shaped by our sin. It's shaped by our experiences of life. So when we surrender our lives to Christ, we come with all this stuff, right? It exists in us, and it's unconscious in us, most of it, to be perfectly honest. It's our unconscious theology. We've been shaped by it. Our beliefs are shaped by it as well. But we're in the process of learning to live out our true identity as sons and daughters of the living God. We're in the process, right? But it has to be an intentional process because there are lives that, lives that you've been hearing your whole life. You hear them every single day, some of you. And the thing is, is that you, you've actually, you're actually in agreement with them. And what we're in agreement with is what we identify with. And that becomes our identity. Let me throw out a few to you and see if they stick. And you could have your own list with this as well. I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. I can't do anything right. My past defines me. Or I'll never heal from my past. I will never overcome my issues, my addictions, or my impulses. God has, has left me. Maybe I'm a failure. Maybe I'm too much or I'm not enough. Or I, maybe if I was just more of this, I would be okay. I'm an anxious person or I'm an angry person or I'm a depressed person. My father and his father or my mother and her mother, they were the same way. This is just who we are. Do you hear the curse in that that we speak over ourselves? These are just a few things that we may say to us every single day that affect our identity. When we are speaking this over ourselves constantly, it becomes our identity and thus becomes a part of the belief system. And our belief system will eventually leak out. It just, we don't get up in the morning going, hey, I'm going to go sin today, right? It just leaks out of us. Let me give you an example. It was probably, we were definitely living in our little 450 square foot back house because uh, I couldn't get away from Patty when she confronted me on this. But <laughs> it's like two steps to the bedroom, one step to the kitchen. Um, so I, I was talking with a friend of mine at Rock Harbor one day and, and, I, and we were just talking about her kids and she said, yeah, well, they're going through a hard time right now and, and uh, uh, you know, so there's some stuff going on. She's really vague about it and, and I just said, well, oh, we've got a list of kids that we pray for. We call them the found kids, not the lost kids, but the found kids and we pray over these kids regularly. And I said, well, we'll just add him to the list. So I go home and, and I say to Pat, I said, oh, Pat, you know, I met with so-and-so today and... And gosh, the kids are going through a hard time, the boys, and I and, uh, figure we can just add them to the, to the list. I told her we'd, we'd pray for them, you know. And she goes, oh, awesome, love, that's great. She goes, oh, what's going on with them? I'm a guy. I'm like, like well, well um, yeah, I mean, there's just some stuff going on, and we, you know, we just need to pray for them. And... <laughs> right, but were there any details to it at all? Did she, did she say anything at all? I said, 
well, yeah, just that she, yeah, having a hard time and yeah, they, <laughs> we need to pray for him. And then, then Patty said something and it, and, it, and it just triggered me. And she was just being kind and just inquisitive. She said, well, honey, did you think to ask you know, this? And I just, I just kind of snapped. I broke. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, what the heck? Like, can't we just pray for the kids? Like, you know, it's like, that's all I'm asking. Like, I just want to add them to the list so we can pray for them, right? And I'm like, gosh, man. And, and I literally, I don't walk away from arguments. Either, but I just, I walked two, two steps into the, bar, into the bedroom. <laughs> and I sat on the bed and I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what's going on? This is weird. What, like, why would this be coming up? Like, this is just weird. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, remind me so clearly of an instance that happened when I was young, maybe 11, 12, 13 years old. I don't remember. I hadn't thought about it since. My dad had asked me to do something. And I did it. But I failed at it. And, uh, and apparently I wasn't thinking about it. <laughs> because uh, when I failed at it, he, my dad was a wonderful man, but also a little bit volatile with his anger. And he walked up to me and he, he poked my head, my forehead with his finger. And he said, mate, you're not thinking. I felt stupid. I felt like this big. And I'd never thought about it since. But when my wife said, did you think? It just leaked out of me. That was an amazing learning experience for me because I realized that there's a space in me, there's a part of me that is not aligned with the, with the identity that God's given me. Because my intellectual belief is saying that I'm perfect in Christ when actually my experience was that uh, something's wrong with me. But that's not true. We were doing some training with, a, with a ch another church uh, and about 30 people in a room and this young guy, a wonderful young guy, and I still spend time with him. And, and, and he was sitting there and he, and he, and he, was, he was being really humble and, and he just goes, oh gosh, and he said, I, he said, I'm, he said I'm just so thankful. He goes, because like, he does youth ministry, he goes, I'm so thankful. He goes, like, like that God would use a dirty, rotten sinner like me to do this kind of work in the, in the church. And I'm like, whoa, mate. I said, hey, can I just speak into that for a minute? And he gave me permission to. And I said, mate, that's a lie. You're no longer a dirty, rotten sinner. God has redeemed you from that. He has made you righteous. He has called you the son of God. He's given you a new creation. No longer any condemnation at all. <laughs> like this is your new, new identity. This is your new nature as well. This isn't you. These are the things. You are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. And I began to just speak these things up over him. You're no longer under condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. You're a friend of Jesus. You're a branch of the true vine. You can go on and on and on. I began to speak these things over him. And the most beautiful thing happened as I was, we were watching him. His countenance completely changed. It was beautiful. It was like his head was just lifted up. And he began to actually receive what was being spoken over him by the word of God and the truth and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It was a really, really powerful moment. Now, of course, he's no longer a sinner, right? He's now a saint. That's what Jesus, that's what we're called. 
So then if we're saints, then why do we, the question is, why do we continue to sin then? Right? What's the deal with that? Well, the issue is this, is that Jesus, has, Jesus died on the cross to give us a new nature. We're no longer sinner, we're now saint. But the habituations of sin still exist within us. And this is the process of sanctification that the Holy Spirit has us in. And we co-labor with him by allowing him, inviting him into those spaces that are not like Jesus, and allowing him to break that habituated sin up in us so that now our, our, our thoughts, our will, our emotions that have always run our lives, right, and, the, and the, we, the Holy Spirit enters into us and is now knit with the spirit of man, now those things are very slowly coming under the submission of the spirit, our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. That's the process that we're in. But we still stand in our true identity as sons and daughters of the living God. What are the lies that you've been telling over yourself, you've been speaking over yourself? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is an identity statement. It's a declaration of a standing truth that for every single person that has pledged, declared their allegiance to Jesus. You know, in, in Matthew 3 and 4, where we see Jesus being baptized, right? Prior to uh, being led out in, into the wilderness by the Spirit and then being empowered by the Spirit for his ministry. Like that particular time, that particular moment that, that God chose to stamp him with his identity was intentional. It was setting him up for what was to come. And the words that were spoken over him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you think Jesus was in the desert when, when Satan was tempting him? Going, hey, I'm giving you, I'll give you the, whole, the, kingdom of the kingdoms of the world. Do you think Jesus was going, uh, 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 wow, okay. No, he's going, no, I am son of my father. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And the angel will surely save you. No, I'm the son of my father. That's what he was holding to. That was his true identity. Romans 8, 14 through 17 is our identity statement. This is our identity that God speaks over us. And I want to paraphrase it, if you guys would allow me to do that. Uh, These are my words. These are not the words of scripture. So I just... If you have any problems, just talk to Mark afterwards. Um, So this is just my paraphrase of, of the scripture. Walk in the power of being led by the Holy Spirit, who declares over you that you are no longer bound by the false beliefs of your old identity. Walk in the assurance of what Jesus has done for you. He has declared you to be sons and daughters, no longer slaves to the old self, nor the old systems that support it. You hold a favored and intimate position with your Father in the heavens. Now, walk in the knowledge of your new identity as if your meaningful life on earth depends on it, because it does. Walk. 
What does all this have to do with prayer? Something that we've discovered on our journey into both prayer and the Spirit is that there is a direct connection between how we understand our identity and how we pray. Many, and I mean many, many within the church, continue to pray from a position of a slave. Figuratively speaking, right? I'm using the scripture here. You were once a slave, now you are set free. It is the old man, the old woman that we continue to pray from. Slaves hold no authority. They have no inheritance, nor do they know what the father's thinking. Basically, they're powerless because they don't carry the signet ring of the father. They don't carry any expectation that they will gain anything from the father either. They are simply resigned to their lot in life. Powerlessness. And powerlessness leads to hopelessness. And our power is found in Christ. Because of the authority that he's given us. And here's the thing. Is that the the prayers can look something like this of a slave. Uh, Praying maybe more with hope. I hope. Not faith. Pray more with hope, but not not faith. Oh, oh, I I hope you come through on this, Lord. Uh, It could be praying apologetically. Lord, I'm so sorry to bother you, but but, um, if if it's your will, would you like do something for this person? It could be praying without expectation. Lord, I, I don't expect you to do this, but hey, in some way, would you come through on this? Maybe you've prayed for people who didn't get healed and so you refuse to get your hopes up again. This not only reveals what we believe about our own identity, but also what we believe about God. I know that many of us have experienced devastating losses due to unanswered prayer. I know that. We've been, but here's the thing, is that we have been called This is our calling on earth. Our calling is to live a life of faith. It is faith that pleases God. Believing ourselves to be what he declares us to be is an amazing thing. But understanding also that he's far greater than what the scriptures could ever describe of him. We cannot allow our experiences of this broken world to define our theology. Faith does not circumvent the pain of our experience. Faith leads us through it. Faith, according to the scriptures, as I said, is the only thing that really pleases God. Faith. This is the life we've been called to as sons and daughters. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My point today is this. 
prayer is first and foremost a positional practice. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, his first two words were what? Dave taught on this two weeks ago. What? Our Father. Do you think that was a coincidence that the first thing that Jesus, te- Jesus teaches us is to position ourselves correctly in relation to the Father as sons and as daughters in the firm understanding of who we are and the authority that's been given to us? No, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was setting us up <laughs> to step into and continually step into our true identities in Christ and to act accordingly and to speak accordingly and to pray accordingly with the power and authority that he has given us. It is in his name that all things occur, but he has given us the authority to do that. Ephesians 1, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling that is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. See that? You're his holy ones. Let's walk in that. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. Did you hear that? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and is in me. But the question is, are we praying as a slave? Do we have the expectations of the old man, the old woman? Or have we truly stepped into the identity that God has given us as sons and daughters of the living God that have been set free from slavery? That are seated in in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. He's given us a heavenly perspective. We're called to bind things on earth that are bound in heaven and release things on earth that are released in heaven. We stand in this authority. But so many of us back away from it for fear of failure. That's our main, the main inhibitor, to be honest. I don't want to fail at this. That's not your job. Your job is to walk in faith and in sonship and in daughtership. Leave the rest up to the Lord. I know there are painful things that occur out of that. We've experienced that as well. But we refuse to step back from that that theology based on our experiences of life. The last thing I'll say is this, is that um, as sons and daughters, we cannot afford to have needs that by which we are not approaching God with. That makes sense. We cannot afford to have needs that we are not approaching God boldly for. It's probably a better way of putting it. When we sit there when an invitation is given to receive prayer, be aware of how you're responding, what's going on inside of you. 
Are you embarrassed of what people might think of you if you come forward for prayer? Do you not want to be heartbroken again and not have your prayers answered? Do you not believe that prayer really works? This is part of, this is the community thing that Mark was talking about. This is how we care for one another. But if we don't ask for it, <laughs> there's no receiving of it. You don't, you're not going to receive what you don't ask for. I encourage you to move against these thoughts and these beliefs and develop a new paradigm built on the word of God and faith that you must approach him boldly and with confidence. This is what pleases him. And keep in mind that as one pastor said that faith brings answers. Enduring faith brings answers with character. You may have your own miraculous story to tell tomorrow because you asked. You may have a miraculous story to tell in a week, a month, a year because you asked. But if you don't ask, be his sons. Be his daughters. Walk in the authority that he's given you. And trust him. Develop faith. This is a life of faith that we've been called into. And when you get that testimony of God's miraculous work, whether it's thunderous or mundane, I want you to tell everybody about it. I want you to shout it from the rooftops. Hey, Mark, guess what? Dude, this last week, this happened. I can't believe it. It's unbelievable. A simple little thing like that. It builds faith. Testimonies build faith. We need to tell more testimonies. I want to read this scripture to you one more time, and I want to read a different version of you. Again, Romans 8, 4, 14. As I wrap up. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. If there's one thing I want you to just hear today, and I'm not a th like a three-point sermon guy, I'm not an acronym guy at all, but this just came out of me while I was putting this together. If there's one thing that you hear today, and it's in regard to your identity, growing in your identity, it's this. Practice prayer positionally. Practice prayer positionally as his sons and daughters. Give it a shot. It'll, the world will open up to you in crazy kinds of ways. 
I want to open it up to a, just a time of, of, uh, of ministry right now as well. I think the guys are going to come up and uh, there's going to be some, some elders. I think my wife and I as well, um, uh, Mark and Dave and Tracy, are going to be available to pray for you as well. Uh, at the front here, I think out in the, the courtyard here and as well, and at the back as well, back there too. Okay. In multiple places. Would you respond as a son and a daughter today? And if you have a need, would you ask? That's what sons and daughters do. Because your dad in the heavenly realms is going, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> You're mine. And of course, I want what's good for you. So yeah, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> ask. So as the guys come up, this time of worship, the invitation is for you to come. And, and keep in mind that, that when, you, when you're sitting like this, right, you're sitting in your seat, when you stand up and you walk forward, that is an act of faith. That's a physical act of faith that's matching what the Spirit wants done. And that, that in itself, even you coming forward, is breaking things in the spiritual realm. Make sense? Did I challenge your paradigm today at all? Yeah. So we're up here. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd like to bless you and to speak a blessing over you as well. And specifically for those maybe who you've struggled with this, you've been hearing these thoughts for a long time. Or maybe they're new thoughts. I don't know. But regardless, we want to be able to speak over you the truth of God. And not have you a slave to your old identity any longer. But to, be, but to cut those chains, man, and to walk in freedom. So, literally, stand up and come to your prayer.